I pray that you would train us right now by your Holy Spirit and teach us, Lord, I pray, through your word, so that we might be able to love you and serve you in even greater ways in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You know, from the very beginning, our faith has been an oddity in our world, especially in the world of religion. For the most part, up until the time of Christ, religions were really attached to specific cultures or kingdoms, geographies. Tribes had their own gods. Empires had their own pantheons. When you, when you thought of Rome, you thought of Jupiter. When you thought of Greece, you had Zeus. It was as, it was as if almost the gods each had their own country. And, and whoever lived within the boundaries of that country then were endowed to become like the first citizens of those gods. But when Jesus came, he was sent on a mission of love that embraced the entire world. It was Jesus who announced to Pontius Pilate in the reading that we had today, my kingdom is not of this world. And it was Jesus who broke all of the boundaries and with kingly commission sent his disciples, you and me, from Jerusalem to Judea and then to the uttermost parts of the earth so that his followers, his disciples, that you and I would be citizens of a kingdom that is unbounded by any global borders. And from the very beginning then, Christians were known as the people who would then, by virtue of that reality, turn the world upside down. One Roman historian in the letter to Diognetus wrote, in the second century, as a report to the emperor about these strange people who were called Christians, uh, he, he wrote these words, and they were in the world but not of the world, and here says how his report went. Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities wherever chances put them. They follow local customs and clothing, food, and other aspects of life, but at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native country is to them as a foreign country. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and yet gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet they gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and they bless in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. And when they are punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. Second century. Report to the emperor of these very, very strange people. What a strange lot these Christians be. And yet, that is what God has made of his people. That is what God has made of us, even here at Ebenezer. Just look around, and from what I understand, having asked the leaders uh, to give me a couple ballpark figures, all you have to do is look in the uh, bulletin to see the evidence of this, uh, that right here at Ebenezer, we have um, people from six different continents. By count, Asia, Africa, Europe, North America, South America, and Central America. 
Well, I, I guess Central America wouldn't count as a continent, but I'm going to add to that count because it sounds so impressive. But even more than that, from what I understand, there are at least 12 languages spoken in Ebenezer's homes. We have English, we have German, Spanish, French, Mandarin, Cantonese, Thai, Tagalog, although I'm not quite sure if that is a dialogue of Tagalog, Punjabi, Hindi, Ethiopian, and Dutch. And who knows how many more dialects may occur within your homes. Such diversity that, that breaks boundaries. And that's our portrait. And if you were to show that picture to the world and say, this is my family, you can understand how that world might scratch its head and saying, ah, that's rather extraordinary and somewhat unexpected. That's your family? You don't look like all of them. But you would be able to say, you better believe it. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, I, I, I turned to a passage in Ephesians as an illustration of what I see of Ebenezer out of God's eyes. And in just a matter of a, of a few weeks, you're going to be welcoming a new pastor and we'll begin a fresh new season of life and ministry together. And you may also remember that I, I began this with a little story of a bricklayer uh, at a building site. And while all the other bricklayers were just laying bricks and doing their jobs, when he was asked what he was doing, he said, I am building a great cathedral. He had a vision in mind. He was empowered by that greater vision. And as Ebenezer prepares for this new season... It is important for you to have a clear vision of what God sees in you and of you. And that is important because what God sees right here may be hidden from human eyes, may not compute because, after all, we are a divinely strange people. And who and what is happening right here may be as confusing to us as it is to the world. Were it not to be seen through God's eyes and were it not to be embraced as God's purpose. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to return to that passage that I began with several weeks ago in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, you may remember that as we opened that verse a few weeks ago, the focus was entirely on that first and most important word of that verse. And the word is consequently, consequently. What that means is that whatever reality that this verse, verse 19, has, whatever truth that you can find in that verse is only as a consequence of what has led up to that verse, and that's the work of Jesus Christ. Which means that anything of value that we find in this verse and anything of value that we will find in our fellowship, anything of value that we find at Ebenezer is in fact a consequence of what God has made of us in Jesus Christ. If you were to know anything about Ebenezer, you have to know that it is a God thing. It is of Jesus Christ first and foremost. Which right off the bat is a critical truth considering what that work of God has has had to do, has had to accomplish. Having focused on that first word in verse 19, we now pivot to the next phrase of the verse and immediately run smack dab into a wall of human reality that is defined by two words, strangers and aliens. Now, if you were to think of all the things that set us apart from each other, those two words would, in fact, top the list. Consequently, you are no longer strangers and aliens, we read there. And those two words describe the real boundaries that keep 
people, humanity, apart, separated. Not just from each other, but from God as well. So let's take a look at those words carefully. Strangers. Now, some of you have it in your Bible translated as the word foreigner. In the Greek, the word is xenos. And if any of you have ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you've heard that word xenos. You recognize it because the Greek father in that movie uh, used it as an insult uh, to describe his future non-Greek son-in-law. He's xenos. Yeah. He may be handsome, he may be the man of his father's dream, of his daughter's dreams, but he is not Greek. Xenos. And for those who haven't seen the movie, the definition, well, might be a little more familiar uh, because it is the equivalent to our Canadian term, landed immigrant. A stranger who may, in fact, live next door or close by, uh, but no matter how close they may be, they are not one of us. Not one of us. Stranger. And not being one of us only is amplified by the next word that we have added to that, the word alien. Strangers and aliens. Strangers and aliens. What's the difference? Well, while a stranger may be someone who uh, up close is not one of us, an alien is one who is a stranger from so very, very far away. So far away that, in fact, they may be an alien from another planet. You might as well see the distance of that term. So you get the idea of these things together, no matter how close in proximity these people may be. In human terms, in reality, there can be no connection between them and us, them and us. No point of contact. No hope for any meaningful relationship. And that's just the way it is, or at least it was, were it not for something very powerful to have happened that changed everything. Look at the one word here. You are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer. Conventional wisdom may look at you, may look at this fellowship, may look at Ebenezer and say, this is what you are, strangers and aliens, but something has happened right here among your midst and you are no longer. Please underline that term. No longer. The Greek word there is ukete, which literally translated means no longer, no more, and never again are you strangers or aliens. And you might look at that and think to yourself, how can that be? Go back to that first word of that verse. It's a consequence of Jesus Christ. It may sound simplistic, but the only answer is, in fact, Jesus Christ. Put your finger right here on verse 19, and in Ephesians in chapter 2, move back to verse 13. There we read these words. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, aliens, strangers, have been brought near in the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the only one capable, qualified, of reaching out to those who are far off and then bringing them near, not just those who are far off from God being brought fully into God's presence, but those who are far off from each other being brought together in God's fellowship, his family, Ebenezer. And what Paul describes here is a chock, is chock full of meaning. In, in, in the Old Testament, it was assumed that there were some people who were near to God. They were the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, Moses puts it that way. He says, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? 
the idea was that there are some people who are near to God. But at the same time, in the Old Testament, the word far away was used to, by, the, by the prophets to describe, especially the prophet Isaiah in chapter 49, verse 1, to describe everyone else who was not part of that family. The Gentiles, they were far off. And they were described in verse 11 here in Ephesians. And their spiritual condition is listed in in verse 12. They are separated from Christ. They are excluded from citizenship. They are foreigners to the covenant of promise. They are without hope and they are without God. The idea is that there are those who are far off and then there are those who are near. And in the the New Testament world, uh, this in fact became a literal matter. It was a a literal wall that was used to separate people, not only from God, but from each other. Look at verse 14 in in Ephesians 2. Paul speaks of a barrier, a dividing wall of hostility that keep these people apart. And that's a reference by Paul to the conditions at the temple in Jerusalem, where in fact, architecturally, there were specific barriers that were erected to cordon off the court of the women, the court of the men, and the court of the Gentiles. Everyone had their own place, separated by a wall. Even God was confined to the Holy of Holies, where only a select number of priests would dare go. And, and between each of those spaces, they, they, had, they had built thick walls and, and that had very harsh warning signs. Some of you may have been to Jerusalem, and, and, and in the Rockefeller Museum, they, they have, in fact, on display one of those signs that was on one of those walls, and it was etched in stone in both Latin and in Greek, and it said, anyone passing this point will be prosecuted and put to death. How's that for a welcoming environment for seekers to the faith? Anyone breaking through these barriers? And that is what human beings have built into our world. Barriers, dividing walls that protect us from strangers and aliens. And I know that when Paul writes here, while he is drawing on ancient historical and theological divisions between the Jews and the Gentiles, the fact is that we could easily write ancient historical, theological, political, relational, cultural divisions that we intend to build to keep us from one another and cause us to wonder, how is it that it could be ukete, no longer and never more for us. Verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been now brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. When Christ died on the cross, his complete work of sacrifice, of reconciliation, actually ripped the curtain of the temple in two, that great barrier. The shedding of his blood shredded the barriers that separated people from God. And from that point on, every wall that divides God's people from one another comes tumbling down. Look at verse 14. He destroyed the barrier, that curtain that kept God at a distance. And he destroyed the wall of hostility, that gulf that that keeps us from one another. Verse 15. He abolished in his flesh the law with his commandments and his regulations, being the very things that ensured that we would remain separate and apart. 
Look again at verse 15, all for this particular reason. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new humanity out of the two, a whole new humanity, thus making peace. And in this one body, reconcile both of them to God. The one who was once far away and the one who was near to bring them to God. Both of them reconciled to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. It is Jesus Christ who puts to death our hostility, whatever force it is that keeps us apart from one another. Forces of resentment, of history, of personality, of strangeness, forces that keep us apart. And in obedience to his claim in our lives and our fellowship, it is Jesus who is able to bring us together. Read on there in in, in Ephesians 2. He came and preached peace to you who were once far away and now peace to those who are near. The same message works for both those who are far away and those who are near. The same Jesus reaches both those who are far away and those who are near. And the product of it all is that through him, through him, we both, we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. And the result, verse 18, now he is our Father, not just your father, not just my father. He is our father, and we are in fellowship with him and with others. Others we would have never known before. We both have access to the father by one spirit, all of us, both the one who is near and the one who is far, all of us, one father, and now Ebenezer, we have each other. And when Paul writes that we are no longer foreigners and aliens, that's not just a wish, In fact, because of Jesus Christ, it's a reality. And with that, Paul is now able to move from the reality then to the rights and privileges and responsibilities that come from that reality that we exercise with one another. So then, he writes, you are no longer strangers and aliens to God and to each other, but now are fellow citizens. That is what you are, fellow citizens. The word he uses there as citizen is a technical term. That really isn't too hard to understand. Just think of what it means to be a citizen of Canada. One of the first thoughts you may have is that being a citizen of Canada means that you are covered with certain rights, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, a charter that guarantees every single one of us fundamental freedoms. My wife and I went through the citizenship class. We are now dual citizens, and here is what I learned, that the right of charts and freedoms says we have the freedom of conscience and religion, of thought, of belief, opinion, and expression, of peaceful assembly, and of association, fundamental freedoms, democratic rights, mobility rights, legal rights, equality rights, minority rights. Being a citizen means that every single one of us are endowed with certain rights and privileges. And here, Paul takes that very word and turns our eyes toward heaven and to say our kingdom is not of this world, it is of our King, Jesus Christ. And then he uses a term here that is kind of lost in translation. In the New International Version, it reads that we are fellow citizens with God's people. Other translations may say, with the saints. The actual word in the Greek is with the holy ones. And scholars, they've debated over what that particular term means. We are fellow citizens with the holy ones. Who are the holy ones? 
Some say that they're the children of Israel to whom a Messiah was promised. Others go a little bit further and say that Paul is referring to Jewish Christians who have accepted their Messiah. Others say that the Holy Ones are the first circle of Christians, the, the twelve and whoever else surrounded Jesus, that golden generation that walked with Christ. Some say that the Holy Ones are the angels that we have fellowship with. But there is another, and I believe, right definition for the term Holy Ones, and that is every believer, every believer, every believer. All who, because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, have now been made holy. These are the holy ones. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we read in verses 3 and 4, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So let me put this together. Jesus is the one who has bestowed upon us right here at Ebenezer the rights and privileges of heavenly citizenship. And this is something no nation, no king, no prime minister on earth could possibly ever offer. But even more, every single one of us share those rights at the same measure as all the rest of the saints who surround the throne of God. And I have to say that because... There are times as a pastor when I've heard the children of God expressing feelings of insecurity and, and of infer- inferiority. They say, oh, I, I'm, I'm not as good as other Christians, and so I don't know how holy I really am. And, and I don't know the Bible that well, so I don't know if I really qualify as one of the holy ones. And I have more of a past. I have more baggage than others, and I am not worthy, let alone holy. Well, let me tell you something. God has... Written out, of his own, written out his own charter of rights and freedoms, and he has done it for you. It's called the Bible. And in it, there are promises that are draped all over the Holy Ones, including you. I tried to make a quick list of the promises that are in the Bible last week or the last two weeks when I've been by the pool in Arizona. Um, and after a while, I just ran out of space. There were so many, many promises that are there. I needed to do that for myself, to be reminded once again of the privileges that God has given Mabe, but also that he has given us, that he has given you. And I, and I began the list with a simple phrase. Because of Jesus Christ, I have the right. Because of Jesus Christ, well, okay, let's expand it. You have the right, and here's that list, to abundant life, a heavenly home, a new nature, to answered prayer, to comfort, to forgiveness, to everlasting life, to growth, to guidance, to hope, to joy, to knowledge, to peace, to rest, to restoration, to resurrection, to strength, to understanding, to victory, to wisdom, and so much more. They are yours. And they are mine. They are ours. These are promises shared by all who belong to Jesus Christ, legal rights that are engraved in a heavenly charter. And I have to ask the question, do do you know this to be true for yourself? Some here need to discover for the very first time the ability to be able to say, I belong to God. I am a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord, my King, the ruler of my life, and I now can take my stand with confidence, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder with my fellow citizens because we are one. Can you say that with confidence? 
of yourself, can, can you then say that of confidence with your fellowship? Your, your citizenship under the Lord Jesus Christ has been bestowed upon you all of the rights and the privileges and, might I close with this, the fellowship required. Your citizenship has now also given you responsibility. Please notice that the words in this simple phrase, consequently, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. There are two words that I haven't looked at closely yet, but I'm going to bring this home with them. Fellow and with. Actually, in the Greek, it's only one word, sympolitai. You are fellow citizens with, sympolitai, and it's actually quite unique. This is the only time that word is used in the entire Bible. The Apostle Paul doesn't write that we are just citizens. He writes that we are fellow citizens. And he does it all in one word. Because what we have from God is not ours to be alone. It is something that comes to life as we share it with one another. In the book of Proverbs, we read in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, of God's intentions that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That is our responsibility. And I believe that the principle is echoed in what we share as fellow citizens. It is in our relationship that we are able to sharpen one another, raise each other to higher levels, and compel each other to pursue all of the promises and the privileges that God has intended. And this citizenship is not something we hold to ourselves alone or hoard to our individual needs. In fact, these are rights and privileges that allow us to serve and inspire each other to greater things. So my fellow citizens, we need each other. I need you to lay hold of promises and you know, need me to hold, lay hold of belief. And that is not only our ability, it is our responsibility. And in that way, we all rise together. A couple of years ago, there was a moment caught in, on film in a movie called As Good As It Gets. Uh, and apart what you, uh, of what you might think of that particular film, there was a critical moment in it where the main character, a very aggravating, mean, nasty, and eccentric man, was challenged by a very, very kind, gentle woman to say something nice, just one compliment. Please, can you say something nice about me to me? And the man fell silent in thought, and then he looked at the woman, with, and then he said these words. He said, you make me want to be a better man. You ever watch that, you realize that there was no kinder word ever to be spoken. No higher compliment ever to be given. And according to the scriptures, no greater responsibility ever to be exercised. You make me want to be a better citizen of the heavenly kingdom. And I have to think that that could be said of those who belong to the kingdom of God. So let's all be better disciples of our Heavenly Lord. That's our mission. And I pray that, as it is our mission, it'll be proven to be Ebenezer's reality. Look at each other and think to yourself, my fellow citizen, my fellow citizen, 
we worship God together. Who is our King, our Lord, for we are in this together as one. Would you pray with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the richness of this reality. There is a loneliness in our world, a cosmic loneliness that makes us feel that we are so alone in all the universe. And yet you have come with words of comfort and and words of confidence that we are not alone, that we are loved by a heavenly Father, the one who created that heaven and earth and cosmos, and that we are not alone. And Lord, you have enforced that, that, that fellowship that assures us, Lord, that allows us to grow just the way you wanted us to. I pray that your spirit might be rich here at Ebenezer and that, Lord, even though there may be ingredients in this place that the world looks and says, we do not understand that, Lord, the ingredient that matters most, that of the Holy Spirit, might draw all together, that we might serve one another, and, Lord, we might raise one another, that, Lord, we might be the holy ones, and thus lift your name on high. You are our King, you are our Lord, and Jesus, we are yours in Jesus, in, in your name. And this we pray, amen.